This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful, but breathe. Another week, another bonus episode for you. This time it's boosting user engagement and app retention panel discussion from our app promotion summit Berlin that we hosted back on November 30th last year. Every app marketer would agree that app retention is absolutely crucial for a mobile app project to become sustainable. To address a number of questions about app user engagement and retention, we had Ioana Yordake, head of retention at Blacklane, Tobias Luder, head of CRM at Delivery Hero, Isabel Matushka, senior CRM manager on Blinkist, Nicholas Henkel, head of community development at Joydol, John Genevard, CRM and retention manager at Share the Meal, United Nations World Food Program. Ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, Boosting User Engagement and App Retention Panel. Enjoy! It's such a pleasure to be here. It became a tradition for the growth community, for the app growth community to reunite at APS in Berlin. So I'm pretty sure you share my enthusiasm for this event as well. Um, so yeah, I am heading retention uh, for Black Lane. Um, I will start introducing myself shortly and then our distinguished guests will do the same. Um, at Blacklane, what we do is to provide premium chauffeur services for business and leisure travelers around the globe. Um, and I've been doing that since the last uh, four years for Blacklane. And um, I really have the pleasure to moderate this expert panel. Um, and um, what we are going to do today is to discuss a set of questions that we have prepared for you. And uh, we will reserve a couple of minutes at the end to take uh, questions, to answer your questions. Um, as I understood, there is going to be a QR code that you can uh, scan and you can ask your questions. So I really want to encourage you to do that. Wonderful. Then let's start. My distinguished guests, would you like to let us know who you are, what your role is, for which brand and app you work for, and who your customer is, and how do they use your product? Toby? Okay. Hi, I'm Toby. Um, I'm the head of CRM for Delivery Hero Europe. Um, I'm here for the second time, so if you've been here last year, then you might have some sort of deja vu right now. But um, yeah, we uh, operate uh, in the European market, but we operate around the globe. And uh, we usually don't operate under Delivery Hero, but rather the, the, the different brands that we have. So uh, I'm going to be talking about Foodora today. And um, yeah, customers use our app for food delivery, but we also deliver groceries and uh, everything that you have uh, in, in your needs. So yeah, that's a, that's a bit about me and what we're doing. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, I'm Isabel. I'm a senior CRM manager at Blinkist. Ooh, Blinkist team, I can see in front of me. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, so Blinkist is a B2C and B2B software as a service app offering micro-learning content, predominantly in the form of summaries of books and podcasts with a couple of other features in between. Cool. Cool. 
Uh, hey everyone, so my name is Niklas and I'm uh, a founding employee and responsible for product and growth at Yodel. Yodel is a local social media company, so basically connecting you to your local community around you. And yeah, our users are mostly in for the entertainment, I mean, it's social media. Um, but besides that, we're also seeing a lot of them uh, yeah, trying to connect to other people, trying to find information, answering questions, and yeah, but mostly just having fun. <laughs> okay. Hi, I'm John. I'm from Mallorca, and I work for the United Nations World Food Program. So um, this is like a big hub, logistic hub, more than 20,000 employees around the world, country offices around the world, delivering emergency food and building resilience um, programs. But I work for a smaller division that is uh, Share the Meal. So we are an app, and we are an app, a fundraising app. So we get funds and we deliver it to the World Food Program. So I'm hired as the first CRM person two years and a half again. So I was creating the whole CRM strategy and implementation of the tool. And yeah, and we don't have customers, we have donors or givers, but we like to call them change makers because at your fingertips you have the opportunity to make a better world. And yeah, I think that's, that was, no? <laughs> Thank you so much. We have a very good mix of different industries and use cases here, so I'm pretty sure the discussion is going to be very interesting. Now, we have a spontaneous icebreaker question, actually. We were discussing during lunchtime that this could be very interesting, um, because many of us in the retention, um, let's say, area of growth, um, we ended up in this area without uh, planning it, maybe. So it would be very interesting to know from you guys, how did you end up doing retention CRM? Uh, so for me, I always had this idea of being a retention manager. Uh, okay. So when I started my studies, no, I didn't. <laughs> so I, I, I finished my studies in marketing, uh, and then I got approached by a company that, it, that I did an internship in. Uh, I want to start in, as an SEO consultant, uh, but then they told me, okay, like we have a position as a CRM manager. So I Googled it, I tried to figure out what it actually means, and then I, I did it. And now I'm doing this since like six and a half years, so I'm, I'm quite happy with my decision. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, for me, it was a bit of a different route. So I just really wanted to work for Blinkist. It was like <laughs> quite simple, really. I, um, I was working for a small B2B company in Berlin, and during the pandemic, it unfortunately closed. And I was looking for my next move, and I was talking to this mentor of mine who was saying, you shouldn't pick... Um, just a role, you should pick the company and the space. And so I was thinking to myself, okay, I want something that intersects culture and tech, because I knew I loved tech. And, uh, and I quickly applied for Blinkist. It was probably like the first, of, like, first couple of companies I applied for and got the role. And then originally started as a, a, C a CRM content manager. So my background is more in the content space. And then I'm just really intrigued and fascinated by what makes products that make you so stick, what makes people actually enjoy it and come back and retain. And, uh, and so then moved a bit more into the engagement and retention space generally and yeah, have specialized a bit more in that area. So you became passionate about consumer behavior generally. Yeah, exactly. Well, wonderful. And you, Niklas? Yeah, I mean, for me, um, one of my best friends uh, is the founder of Yodel. And he had this crazy idea and he asked me if I could help him build it. And I was like, yeah, why not? 
I was imagining like either in six months we're dead or with the next Facebook. Uh, that was like nine years ago. We're not the next Facebook yet. <laughs> but um, so in the beginning, it was all about getting like new users joining in. But at some point, you just realize that the biggest lever is keeping them, right? And that was when we as a company started to really obsess about retention. And then uh, it was just the most important thing to work on. So kind of every department uh, had like some role in retention, right? And it doesn't matter if you are in community and you're doing like support or moderation or stuff like that, or you're in product or even in marketing, you always have to keep a close eye on retention, always have to make sure that the users you acquire also stay. And yeah, over the years, it just uh, stayed that way. Mm -hmm. And I stuck to uh, retention and growth. But it's good stuck, right? Uh, <laughs> okay. I think it's actually a lot of fun. Cool. And John? Yes, so my first CRM position was 2016, and I was actually hired as a CRM lead without having any experience. So it was Fortunica, it's a life advisor app. And I mean, in the, my background, I was working in public relations for a gaming publisher. So we were using a CRM tool to send a press release. But this was, um, I had also some background in copywriting in agencies, some background in building websites, a bit of HTML and so on. And at the same time, I was studying uh, online marketing, and one of the subjects was email marketing. So I found it really interesting, and I started to apply, and I received this position. Very good. Um, good. Thank you so much for your answers. Let's go into the real questions now. <laughs> so retention is very often mentioned as the silent killer, even, in a business, right? Because it, uh, it, is, either, uh, it is quite easy to cover up if it's reported uh, wrongly. So one of the questions, that, the first questions that I have is, how do you define retention and how did you reach that definition in your company? John, would you like to start? Yeah. Okay, for us retention, it's, I call it MAT, monthly active donor. So we are measuring monthly donations. And um, we have two, two, you can be a monthly active donor in two ways. We have a subscription base, so you donate monthly. So this is easy to retain and easy to measure, but then we have the single donors, like more sporadic donations. You can start with 70 cents. 70 cents is one meal we are shipping. So then we are measuring more if they are uh, donating in a monthly base. But the reality, after a month, we consider them dormant. The reality is that when there is a big emergency in the world, we bring a lot of users back, so our retention curves have spikes. And also we see a trend or we see some users that they come back after a year. After a year, we have a spike because we have big events like Ramadan where a lot of users donate or Christmas where a lot of people donate or beginning of the year. So then people that were dormant during a year, they wake up again. And then also we find uh, like a two, five percent of users that are donating weekly, but exactly the same day. And this is also probably related with some religions like Muslims on Friday prior, they donate. Uh, Christians on Sundays is the day of donating. So we see this trend of weekly, but in a specific day. But we have also users donating with every meal. Okay? You breakfast, you donate 70 cents. You lunch, you donate 70 cents. You have dinner, you donate 70 cents. 
So because they want to share his current, so this will be the approach, you know, to have um, daily, but monthly it's kind of okay. That's super interesting. How about you, Niklas? Yeah, it has been quite a journey. Because, mm. <laughs> um, I mean, at the core, it didn't really change our North Star's daily active users. And we kind of very early on figured out, okay, our frequency is a daily use case. So you daily check what's going on in your city, daily connect with your community, right? And what we did is uh, that we just said you open the app, right? That's the minimal action that shows that you got like some kind of value out of it. And but then at some point, because we measured it daily and it went to like day 30 is when the habit comes and stuff like that. But at some point we realized that uh, we got a lot of churn, like a lot of people were dropping out. Um, and it's not the new users, right? So we kind of had to figure out a way to look at our existing user base and figure out, okay, who are the people that drop out and how can we retain them better and how can we structure that in a different way than the normal just day one, day seven, day 30 way, right? Uh, so what we did, we did like uh, what's called an L28 analysis. I don't know if you guys know. It's basically you measure the days in the first four weeks that people come and then you measure in the next four weeks and you try to find, find correlations. And once we did that, we kind of found out that we have in our daily active users like a lot of differences. We have people who come back seven days out of seven days, right? The high actives. And these had insanely good retention, of course, right? And uh, that went down until the D5 sevens. Uh, so they missed like one or two days. Maybe they had like a big event or something, but they came back and they became day seven sevens. Everything underneath started to look really, really bad. And most of them, like 95% of our churn came from these user groups. So we started to bucket them a bit differently. And then now what we look at is mostly we have our D5-7s. They are fine. Like whatever is happening in the product, they are happy with it. Um, but we are focusing on much more now on the low actives. The people, like what is their retention and what are their pain points? Because they use the app very differently from the people who use it like uh, two hours a day, right? They go in one once in a week and they just want to see like the best content and something. So that was like one of the biggest breakthroughs I think we had in terms of retention is figuring that out, figuring out how the different user groups actually use our product and what's their frequency cycle and then trying to uh, improve this individually by user group. And uh, we figured out that actually the low actives are a huge user group in our weekly active users but they're just a tiny uh, percentage of our daily active users. Mm. So ever since we're trying to look at retention on this level, on the activity level, and trying to keep, of course, the, uh, the people who are super active, keeping them active, but there are not a lot of uh, variations. And now we focus a lot on the low active users mm. and try to look at that on a per day basis rather than just looking like, oh, the day 90 went down, right? Which uh, after your app is on the market for like a few years, it's not really helpful anymore. Yeah, I think it's key to define the um, most relevant period to measure frequency on. I think uh, yeah. that is absolutely key for a correct measurement. Isabel, would you like to also share with us how you did it? Yeah, how we measure retention. 
Um, you brought up some really interesting points about like how users are, are kind of engaging with the app differently. This is also something that we often find often with Blinkist. For us, retention is obviously if a user renews their subscription after a monthly or annual basis. So the different ways to measure that, and we often experiment with a few. Um, I think at the moment we came up with a really interesting new approach to measuring retention, which we call the high value actions framework. So essentially what we did was we looked at the annual cost of a subscription, and then we looked at like what actions are more likely to drive retention, and then basically by cross-referencing the average price of a subscription against the specific action, we could then kind of predict what the value of the action might be for us, and then predictively model the efficacy of a campaign on the long-term retention of the user. So, in short, it allows us to turn everything down into a number that the entire organization can understand, i.e. money. So it makes it a bit easier to, to kind of work with different stakeholders because we're all communicating and speaking the same language. Just one question, follow-up question from my side. Are you talking about app um, behavior actions or purchase behavior actions? App behavior actions, app so engagement actions. So an example might be, for us, um, a daily a user just opening the app and starting a session, that's not really enough. We want users to actually engage with a piece of content. And that's the, the, the most significant act that they can take for their attention. Of course, it makes sense. Um, so, for example, an act like starting a Blink, you know, our content format, might be worth, let's say, 50 cents in terms of the long-term retention over the whole course of the life cycle. But then a specific other action, like inviting another user to, to join the, pro, the, the space, for example, which is our social sharing feature, that might be worth like three euro or something. Um, so yeah, this is, it's based it on It reminds me a little bit of how Pinterest is also looking at uh, the definition of retention. Also, they consider pinning a key action for yeah. Uh, measuring the success of retention. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much. How about you, Toby? Um, yeah, to keep it very simple, uh, we report most likely on the uh, monthly active users and the weekly active users and the frequency. Uh, what I see in many companies, they're measuring CRM still in orders, which can be a big issue because uh, your orders are always going to be defined by the uh, number of orders uh, that people make individually, but also the, 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 the number of customers, right? So it could lead to a position where you have a few heavy users that drive your orders, uh, but your user base is slowly dying if those users drift to a different app. So you obviously have to be careful and check both the, um, the amount of active users and the frequency that they have. Mm -hmm. And we also have the HVA framework as well. Obviously, ours look a bit different, um, but for example, people would order on a weekend instead of a weekday or um, maybe order breakfast, for example, which is not the most common uh, product we sell. Um, yeah, so this is how we measure it. So we have um, internal KPIs, I would say, for, for us as a retention team, but then to upper management, we usually report on monthly active users and the, the frequency. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned also weekly. So which one is it, monthly or weekly is more relevant? Uh, usually monthly. monthly? Um, but like for us internally, to act faster on something, we obviously look at the weekly ones. Yeah. Got it. Otherwise, you always do this post-mortem, right? You check what you did last month, and then you try to make assumption, okay, we need to do better this month. But mm -hmm. yeah. Post-mortem, I like right, that. So. <laughs> Okay, wonderful. And um, also a little bit of, um, of uh, now shifting it to the depth of retention. Uh, can you share with us shortly what is the definition of the habit moment for you? Some of you already mentioned, but maybe you can summarize it. What is, when do you define a customer uh, that that customer reached the habit moment? Um, and how did you arrive to that definition? Okay, habit moment, it's, it's a tricky question always. 
we have a definition that is CDM1, so consecutive donation in month one. So meaning you make a donation in month zero, we want you to, we are measuring that in month one, you make a second, third, or whatever donation. I don't care how many donations you make in month zero. The important is that in month one, you are back. Of course, the more donations you make in month zero, more probability are that you're going to donate, continue donating, no? And this gives us an indicator that this user will has understand the product, that you can, one of the core propositions that we offer is that you can select different goals, like I want to donate to Palestine or to Ukraine or to Bangladesh. So they understand this, and then they understand that they are receiving some content related with the, with the goal they selected. No? And then we define that you donate after a month. Just one question from my side. I'm not sure if everyone is donating uh, for it, so maybe it's useful. Do your customer have the chance to schedule donations? Um, they can subscribe. They can subscribe. They are not customers. Uh, donators, <laughs> sorry. Change, uh, change me. Uh, I'm sorry. I was <laughs> not actively listening, obviously. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, good. Okay. Cool. How about you, Niklas? Yes, so for us, again, we came from like the uh, day 30 retained and uh, started from there, and mostly that was kind of accurate. Um, but then, as I explained, like we went ever deeper into like uh, splitting up the cohorts and everything. And at the end of the day, um, so we say opening the app is like this minimal core behavior to show that you have uh, value, and then you can just plot over time like how many do people need to do in order to be uh, activated, to have like the habit. And yeah, so overall what we found is it all ties back into like the uh, D5-7, D6-7, D, like the high activity state. Once we have people in there, they form the habit of continually coming back every day and checking uh, the app. So for us, uh, we achieve basically the habit moment once people are in that uh, bucket and stay in that bucket. And um, what this helps us with is that also we never really, like we never say you're finished as a user, like you have the habit, you're good, but uh, we continuously track it over time. So even if you're three years with us and you kind of drop out of that bucket, we would mm -hmm. basically uh, register that and try to get you back. Mm -hmm. Got it. And for us on the Blinkist side, I mentioned the importance already of that content start. And for us, a habit comes down to that content start. So a bit similar to you, we also need users to be using the app regularly, ideally. Um, and that's the first way that we're measuring, um, measuring like a habit. So the first would be what we call a power user. So a user who's regularly coming back into the app. We don't want them to be using it every single day because it's not how users use Blinkist. They use Blinkist normally on their morning commute or like, when they want to just get that bit of learning in while they're on their way somewhere, walking somewhere. So then for us, a power user means that they're using the app regularly. It's important. The second part is um, reactivation. So users, when you build a habit around something, it's more about, a habit isn't just about you using it every day, it's about you having a habitual usage of a thing. So imagine if every time you're really upset, you always call your aunt. And you're not going to be upset every week, at least I hope you're not. Um, but you, at every time you call, like, you're upset, so maybe once a year or something, you're still going to be calling her up. And in the same way, whenever you want to watch a film, you might always turn to Netflix. 
So when we think about Blinkist, that means that when a user identifies that they have a need, maybe they want to know about the history of Ukraine. Maybe they want to know how to get that next leadership role or to manage a remote team or whatever. They know that Blinkist is the place where they can get that information and they reactivate and enter the app. I would in general just say that uh, habits are always different and people use your app at different occasions. I think it's just important for your app to create those occasions, like to create more and more occasions so that they actually feel like they could pick it up if they want to. So I don't really care if they order once per month, for example, or if they order five times per month. Of course, five times per month is better, but I'm fine as long frequency. as this customer... Yeah, it's frequency. But um, what I've just tried to say is like the habit won't really change usually, and you shouldn't try to change your customer, but rather make as many occasions as you can for your customer to pick up your phone. This could be anything. This could be just a random push on a Friday. This could be, you know, reminding them of what are the use cases that they can use your app, like we're talking generally right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. Cool. Then um, one more question about um, metrics. Um, what was your key metric in 2023 that you tracked? Isabel? Um, I mean, obviously, we track like overall retention, so who's renewing their subscription like on an annual or monthly basis. But I mentioned the HVA framework. That one was the key for you. Okay. That was the key one for us. So what we did is we, for engagement in CRM, at least in our department, um, we identified a certain value that we wanted to hit based on, on those HVAs. So um, hypothetically, that was like 500K, and then we wanted to drive each of these different frameworks across different campaigns and stuff. So for example, you could then target a harder to drive action um, that was higher value in order to reach that number, or you could say we're gonna drive it through that content start, that's our kind of base level action. Mm -hmm. John, do you also want to share? Yeah, something really simple, second donation. Okay what it calls the one-timers. I, I know Toby, of a, we met in a panel about only one-timers. I think it's a fascinating topic, like why a user is using your product, they make a purchase, never come back, no? So you have a lot of opportunities to ask why, and it's really important to improve this part because you, are, you, are, you paid for this user, they have consumed your product, why are they not staying for more, no? So we are really focusing on that because we are losing a lot of users from this part, so for us was the focus this year. Mm. Toby? Uh, mostly about incremental orders, uh, active customers that you have. Uh, depends already if, if you look at CRM as a whole or if you look into the campaigns. Mm -hmm. so the KPIs change depending on what you're looking at. It might be if your customers reach maturity, right? If they reach this aha moment where they mm -hmm. fully understand your app, for example. Did you do a good onboarding flow, for example, to, to engage with your customers? But then on you know, the business level, also, obviously, I think pretty much every company right now is going into profitability, right? So you're also checking if what you're doing is sustainable, right? So we're also measuring against the global control group, for example. So what are we doing in CRM versus people that are not even, you know, faced by CRM? Like, are we creating any incrementality? Mm. Cool. And Niklas? Um, for us, it was a percentage of DAO or new users that upload, which for us is like a, a highly predictive metric of uh, retention and something that we can actually drive. Right, retention is like an outcome. It's like people experiencing value and then coming back. Why this is actually something that we were able to, uh, yeah, run experiments on and uh, yeah, try to get up. Mm. I really love North Star metrics because I I think they provide clarity and focus to the teams. This is why I wanted to to have this information from you because it's um, it's super important for the teams. 
Okay. Would you like to let us know, talking about retention, obviously, experimentation is super important. Can you share with us one of your favorite experiments this year? John, okay. I see you smiling. Actually, I have, have a, something to share there. I have an experiment that I present as a use case for the awards. So I'm nominated and <laughs> going to win. Good luck. <laughs> but um, I mean, I'm experimenting all the time. No? Every time I send a campaign, there is an A-B test and control group. It's difficult to get statistical significance for a small test. But this was a big test and requires a bit of background. I don't know how we are in time. But basically, what I saw when I joined the company two years and a half ago, and what I saw in fundraising is that when you donate, what do you get? Can I, someone answer me? Because if you buy a pair of shoes, of Nike shoes, you receive a physical product. Not, and not just this, you are a runner. No? Nike is transforming you in a runner. But in donations, you don't receive anything. No? And I was really obsessed with this topic. And at that time in our app, you, you was just donating and nothing happened. So it was okay. I asked the customers what they want. They want to see impact report. They want to see what is happening with the money. So I was okay sending emails, personalized about what we are doing in the field. But also in our app, you don't need to be signed in to donate and be a hardcore user. So I need to first ask them to sign in. So the journey was really long. I wanted to find something that is really impactful to show them where your money is going, what we are doing. So I hack the Brace um, in-app message HTML to show videos. Because I thought videos is the perfect medium to show what we are doing in the field. So by doing this, Every time you donate to a specific campaign, like, let's say, West Africa, after two days, I send you a push and say, hey, check your impact. We have a message from the field. Then you open the app, an in-app message comes, and there is a video of a country officer that is in, what I say, West Africa, showing you, hey, this is what we are doing with your money. So we run this test for many months, like four, or four months, and we see that the, the cohort of users acquired since we launched this experiment and the control group, we was increasing engagement and retention. No? And then this, what it serves is to inform the product to focus in creating this as a feature in the app. No? Now, this year, we launch an impact section where you can see what is happening with your donations. And we are moving to this video, video in-depth uh, content. So yeah, that was the experiment. It's also like a reward for the action that you, yeah, um, it you was took, exactly right? to spin the, um, the, um, the loop. No? We call it the impact loop that is based on the hook model. You have an action and a trigger, a reward. No? Trigger, action, reward. But yeah. Super. I hope you are going to win tonight. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Niklas, how about you? Uh, um, so mine is actually one that uh, failed miserably. <laughs> <laughs> it failed? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Good learnings. <laughs> yeah, it was a good learning. So um, we had this idea because we were focusing on the low active users, right? And uh, they click on a lot of posts, actually. So they see a lot of stuff that is actually super interesting to them. So uh, we had this idea to give them the possibility to follow uh, a post because a lot of them were not done yet, right? There were like two answers, but no one really gave the best reply yet. And they would never see the best reply. So we kind of wanted to, them to follow uh, the, the posts to then re-engage them. And actually, we, we built like a very big button, right? We wanted to be like extreme about it. 
<laughs> and what we saw is like um, we got a lot of follows, but only from the high actives. The low actives didn't care at all. And the learning was just like, well, they are surrounded by buttons in your app already. <laughs> They're not pushing them. Mm -hmm. Why would they push another button? And then we kind of moved to, okay, we have to get like the implicit signal of just clicking on a post and do like some backend magic there. But uh, yeah, we were all very convinced of the follow post and <laughs> it was just a massive it's, learning. It's not easy to crack the inactive ones, <laughs> that's for sure. How about uh, you, Isabel? What did you experiment with this year? Um, my favorite experiment this year was a campaign we call the MIB, um, or the Month in Blinks. Um, it's a bit similar to yours. It also works on incentivization and reward and this kind of idea. And it was inspired by our annual version of Spotify Wrapped, which is like, I mean, the Blinkist version. It's not Spotify Wrapped. We don't just copy it. Um, <laughs> it's called the Year in Blinks. And what we saw was that that campaign, which is actually coming out next week, is um, it caused a huge spike in retention and then engagement and renewals. And so we wanted to see if we could replicate that on a monthly basis, hence the month in Blinks. There was a performance-based gamified campaign, um, and it was successful. It, drove, it drives repeat usage. So not just one-off, but it keeps people coming back for more, which is super. Um, I suppose the other component of it was we've been looking at gamification for a while and trying to figure out how we can fit it into our recurring strategy. And so the month in Blinks like, neatly fit into that. And it's actually, like I said, it's been a winner. Um, the learning. Diversify. Honestly, I think there were a lot of different learnings from that campaign because, I mean, we tested so many different components of it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it was a nice reminder for me that there are many ways to drive engagement, especially if you have a year-long subscription like we do. Um, typically, our engagement strategy had focused a lot on content recommendations, and there's so many ways to do that, like personalization, editorialization, everything. Also on kind of effective product onboarding. But gamification just brought that added kind of special source, and it shows that there are many ways to engage a user. There's many, many tools to your belt, and you should be looking at all of them. You should be looking into the landscape and then testing if they work for you. Um, yeah, so I would definitely say that one. We also experimented a lot this year with gamification. <laughs> we share that. Um, and for us, the key learning was that gamification works as long as it's aligned to the core motivation of usage of the product. Um, same way for rewards programs. I think they need to be very closely aligned to the core motivation. Yeah. Toby. Yeah, um, <clears throat> we're running a lot of experiments. Um, of course, we, we test everything. But I've got to be inspired now by Niklas and his okay. So I also want to share like a, like a short story. So we're doing this constant optimization of our voucher values. So what we're doing is we're essentially checking the segmentation. We check how valuable is this customer for us, what's the, the, the lifetime value of the customer in the future. And then we assign this person a specific voucher, so a combination of uh, MOV and the value. And then we send them a message, like an email, like, hey, here's your voucher. And it might be between, you know, you get like a five euro voucher, and maybe the next person gets a seven euro voucher. But at some point, we figured out that people were complaining because uh, we sent them zero euro vouchers. So we just sent them a nudge, hey, here's your zero euro voucher. Uh, have fun, because those are obviously our most valuable customers, so they don't deserve a voucher. Uh, was a huge failure. And uh, I would say, as a learning, uh, just don't send a message if you have nothing to offer. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I think it's the highlight. <laughs> Good. Wonderful. We have only 11 minutes left, and I promised I will take uh, questions from the audience. So how about we do that? Yeah? Okay, so 
the one I see is actually closely related to the one I had on my list to ask you. How does AI enable CRM to boost customer retention? So it's a, it's a question that we had on the list. Very concretely, because I think 2023, and the reason why we are talking so much about it, is the year of democratization of AI, with ChatGPT, with consumers being actually more comfortable using it, more organization obviously embraced it and think about how to use that to uh, create efficiencies um, and impact. So this is why we also had it on the list, and I would really like specifically to understand if you are using AI in your engagement and retention strategy, and how? Um, so in the last panel discussion that we saw today, we, uh, I, I heard that we shouldn't talk about I AI. I don't know how um, to pronounce the, the word. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's fine. I, mean, I also don't know it. But for me, AI is more like you use it to, to do a job, right? For me, CRM always has a lot of content, because if you build, let's say, an onboarding flow, you need a lot of content for your emails and everything. And content means time. So it's like the time to market is very high. I think AI can help you with uh, generating copy, for example, or to figure out uh, the best timing when your campaign should be sent. Because, for example, I sent you a voucher for a pizza. But when should I send it? Should I send it at dinner time? Because that's most likely the time when you're going to order pizza. Or should I send it earlier? Because you might think about your dinner, and then maybe it makes sense to send it e uh, earlier because you make different plans. So I think uh, I would say timing and content. And the development and timing. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So cool. you do see a workload. Super. Um, for us, it's definitely been about increasing impacts and um, reducing, I guess, like kind of workload in many ways. And I'm going to give a really specific example. So um, obviously, as a content-based app, Blinkist has a lot of writing involved. Um, one of our dominant engagement strategies was a campaign, is a campaign called the Daily Pick. And if you've ever used Blinkist, you have definitely received it. Um, all the basic and premium users received it. So. <laughs> uh, essentially, it goes out to every user every single day, and it gives you your title recommendation. It's great. We used to write the copy for that by hand. Like We used to have freelancers on that for German and English, an editor coming in to approve it to make sure that everything worked. It was in the Google Sheet, then it was kind of like exported out and pushed out to thousands of users. We needed to cut some costs as a team, and we needed to figure out a way to automate that campaign to a better degree. Um, and so we came in with a couple of pain points and requests to our incredible data science team who very quickly came back to us with a solution. And essentially what it is, is when we have that daily content recommendation coming up, GPT generates a, a push notification. We store it on the back end and we push it out to our users. It's trained off of four years worth of daily pick data. Like, we have so much data to train it on from really like, high-quality copywriters. And so as a result, it's really accurate. And we have, I think, like, in terms of error rate, I would say it's 99.99%, which is we would rarely get a complaint about anything that was pushed out. I mean, obviously, it's a push notification. How much users read the entire thing is also another, another question. And that's why it's also probably a safe space to, uh, for us to automate. But um, I think it's a really good example of how you can have a really solid business impact and also get your, free up your team a little bit to focus on other areas where they can drive even more engagement. So if scalability is a focus for next year for you, do follow up with questions <laughs> for these guys here because they definitely have many um, use cases to so share. No one is signing off the push. You are trusting the machine to send the push directly so, to the users without proofing, without... Dangerous. Yeah, very dangerous. Um, so I, part of my, I mentioned my, my growth into this role. Part of my background is I'm also a copywriter. 
And so when it came to launching this test, we actually went through three months where I was looking at the Google, the, every single potential push was exported into a Google Sheet. And every single day I would start work and I would read through the messages and be like, this works, this doesn't, this kind of thing. Um, in English and German, it was, we went through the process to make sure that it was actually going to work efficiently before we actually shipped it out. Um, I was at Web Summit like two weeks ago. And at one of those talks, they explained that you want to put um, AI into one of the areas where if you expect to fully automate, you want to have an area where a little bit of fallibility isn't necessarily a problem. And for us in this area, it isn't. Especially with the rate of, of success of that campaign, it's about the same as you'd get from a human copywriter. Okay, fascinating. I mean, yeah. in my case, I cannot do it because we are civil service. We have a code of conduct to be neutral and impartially. So I cannot have the risk to, to have a machine sending or images or copies. Also, the images we have, we, cannot, we don't retouch image. It's no filter image. Everything is as it is in the field. No? So I, will, I, I would like to do it, but I cannot do it. I'm more interested in machine learning. For me, it's the, the part that is more interesting for me. I have a data scientist working in creating a score, scores so we know when, one, when can we send specific things, when the user is ready. Because in our app, it's not about only donating. You can also send gifts, like voucher e-cards to other people, like a referral kind of mechanism. You can create a challenge for your birthday, and you can also share it, so it's also this referral mechanism. So there are different features that we can, and this machine learning can give us exactly the moment when we should push for this feature or for ask a donation or ask for a subscription. No? So this is my focus for next year, to go more deep into machine learning. But generative AI, I can use it for me to create briefs or uh, to create I don't know, to inspiration or for coding, for liquid HTML, I can learn with the machine. But I cannot trust it like 100%. <laughs> yeah, you have to be super careful. We, had, we, we tried it as well. And I think if you only send content pushes, I think it's fine. It might sound a bit awkward, but people will understand it. And oh, they are trying out AI. So it might even be, be a catch, right? We tried it out with, uh, with deals. And your prompt has to be on point. Because if we, for example, thought uh, like it was automated, it was, um, you know, we didn't do anything for this push. It was to send out for a specific vendor. And the prompt was essentially promote this restaurant. And then ChatGPT went on and like, promoted it for 50% off. But this deal didn't exist at all. So people <laughs> checked out the app, but there was no deal. So uh, ChatGPT went completely ham and uh, yeah, promoted everything. Mm. So be careful. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Super interesting. I wanted to take one more question um, on the screen um, because I found it super interesting. There was a question regarding uh, hard-churned users. Um, how do we re-engage with them and so on and so forth. So I want to sh actually twist a little bit the question and I would like to know from you, um, is it actually worth to focus on hard-churned users, those that have a low probability to come back? Or how do you define actually on which churned users you should rather focus on? Um, so I think it's definitely worth it. I mean, you can try it. I mean, we are not an expensive channel, so it's worth a shot anyways. 
uh, but I think it's important how to follow up, because if you resurrect someone, for example, and they form the same pattern, they, they get inactive again, and then you know, it's not really worth it in, in that sense. So I would treat really lost customers, let's say, as new customers. So like, try to educate them again. Potentially, like, let's say they didn't use your app for like a year, then you have to treat them like a new customer, rather, because you need to educate them about new features and how they can use the app. So I think uh, do it, but you have to be a bit specific about them and treat them differently than just a churn. Um, reaction that you have. Mm -hmm. I agree with Tavi. Okay. Thank you. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for me, I think uh, it kind of depends also on your resources, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, for us, if we were to focus on that, we think the probability of getting these users back is just way lower. Exactly. So yeah. when we kind of decide where to put resources, probably the people who are getting less engaged or that show like some promising signs of they get some value, but maybe not all of the value uh, just makes more sense. But ov overall, if you don't try, they are gone forever, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. Okay, let's wrap this up because we have only two minutes left and um, I would like to close it with a question looking forward. So what is your, what do you want to focus on or what is already determined you will focus on in 2024. Um, Isabel? Um, yeah, for us, I mentioned gamification a little bit. I mentioned the MIB and how that was, for us, quite a good lever for success. It's gamification is where I see Blinkist moving in, in 2024. So, I mean, for one, it's when you try and figure out what your next move is, you want to look at the industry landscape and you want to look at the best in class. And when you're thinking of the best in class SaaS companies, subscription SaaS companies, you're thinking of like the likes of Duolingo, Headspace, I mean, this kind of space, who are where, and all of them are using, using gamification at the moment. Then I guess on another note, we have tested gamification numerous times in CRM. Um, and have started have seen uplift as a result of it. So for us, it's a quite natural direction to, to turn to, especially considering we want our users to develop that habit. Mm. Yeah, gamification. Gamification deserves a panel in itself, I would <laughs> say. <laughs> for sure, you should head it as well. Yeah. Uh, Niklas, how about you? What would be um, the key priority in 2024? So for us, it's actually, um, so we have, I think, like 2,000, somewhat like 2,500 local communities, and all of them are different. And that is uh, making it very, very hard for us to kind of improve the experience in all of the communities. So one thing that we want to do is we want to provide like uh, some place in the app that we have more control over and give especially the low actives a place where they find just the best of content. Right? We will probably start a bit more editorial and then automate as much as possible. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to be a big focus to make sure that the people in like a very small village have a great experience and the people in the big city have a great experience. Wonderful. Well then, um, I think the time is up. I want to thank our guests for the insights. Um, I really enjoyed moderating this panel and I hope you enjoyed the conversation as well. Um, do come to us for follow-up questions um, in the breaks, and I really hope you enjoyed it. Thank you, John. And that was boosting user engagement at the hypertension panel. Featuring Joanna Yordake, head of retention at Blacklane, Tobias Luder, head of CRM at Delivery Hero, Isabel Matushka, senior CRM manager at Blinkist, Nicholas Henkel, head of community development at Joydoll, and John Genevard. 
CRM and Retention Manager at Share the Meal, United Nations World Food Program. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search for the business of apps and you will find us easily. Remember, we release episodes on Mondays. So subscribe and you will be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review or comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.